What a finish from Balogun. Oh, Benyatta, beautifully done. Bobby York, surely. There it is. Mbappe now. Wonderful. Got to be. Lovely finish. Go for goal. Tara Mbappe. It's Ellie White. Ellie White. Well, it's been coming. Coming by Jonathan Davies. Kylian Mbappe brings the Parc des Princes to its feet. Hello and welcome to Le Bourgeois, the latest episode of the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast in English. This is our second episode of the new year and it's a pleasure once again to have you with us as we take a deep dive into all things French football. Now, that also includes Ligue 1, obviously, the Coupe de France, the Africa Cup of Nations, the Asian Cup, as well as all our regular features and guests. We'll also be giving you another chance to win a Ligue 1 jersey. So to help me, your host, Robbie Thompson, do all of that and a whole lot more, I'm delighted to say we're joined by Ligue 1 commentator Angus Tarod. Happy New Year, Angus. Great to have you back for a, another year. Thank you very much. And uh, you were looking for sort of punchy, succinct uh, comments today. So I can tell you that I'm feeling punchier than a hat and Ben Arthur bust up in a dressing room. Fantastic. We are going to hear a whole lot more about that as well. We've also got CBS Viacom's man on the ground in France, Jonathan Johnson. JJ, how are you? Hey there, guys. Happy New Year. Great to be back. I'm doing well, thanks. Feeling punchy? Absolutely. Excellent. We'll also be catching up with Andy Scott in Abidjan in the Côte d'Ivoire for the Africa Cup of Nations and with Andreas Evagora, who's going to kick off his new series into cult figures of French football And today, we're going to be hearing all about Hatem Ben Arfa. Don't forget to join the conversation on X at League One underscore ENG for English. And of course, you can catch all the latest on the French top flight at League1.com. We've only had one round of Ligue 1 football since we've been back already, episode number two. But over the weekend, all eyes were on the Coupe de France, the uh, round of 32 or the 16 finals. If, uh, if you're talking in French, just to make it a little bit more confusing for everyone, we always get all the documents in French that say 16th, 16th, 16th. It's actually the round of 32. But with French, it does end up making a little bit of sense because then you have the eighth and then the quarterfinals. And by the time you get to the quarters and then the semifinals, the English and the French realign themselves and we're all happy and we can move on. But this round, and so the round of 32, was highlighted, gentlemen, by two monumental penalty shootouts. Now, the holders to lose were ousted by Rouen, 12-11 on penalties. And I believe I saw a stat saying it's the first time the defending champions have been eliminated from the competition by a semi-amateur side. So uh, that's what Rouen have managed to do down in the French third division. Um, it was a thrilling match that ended 3-3. And, uh, and then the penalties... Angus, you caught a bit of the, the tail end of this whirlwind of an elimination for Toulouse. What did you make of it all? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a phenomenal game. I mean, uh, Rouen were within four and a half minutes of putting their foot in the next round when Toulouse equalised after, well, three or minutes of uh, time added on. Of course, there's no extra time, so there was no time to really react for them. They went straight into a penalty shootout. I have to say it's one of the best penalty shootouts I've seen for quality of kicking. I mean, the goalkeepers were given virtually no chance for the whole of the first round. They went through the whole team. It was, uh, <laughs> it really was, it was quite something. They had injured players taking penalties in the end. 
They had some players um, who were arrogant enough to put it into the top corner. I mean, not, not just like, you know, sort of go up, look nervous. Nobody looked nervous, smacked it into the top corner. And then finally, Gonzalo Suazo. Oh, uh, sorry, Gonzalo Suazo. What am I talking about? Suazo. Let's skip to Suazo. He, he came up and you would have expected him, one of the more experienced players, to be able to put it away. And unfortunately, he didn't. And then Ruan got through fantastic scenes. Absolutely amazing. And of course, let's not forget that Nantes also got knocked out as well. So both finalists are now no longer in the competition. So perhaps opening the door, JJ, for, for one of the sides that would love to get their hands on the Coupe de France, like PSG, for example. But we will talk about that in a moment, a little bit tongue-in-cheek. There was that other penalty shootout where you talk about players putting it in the top corner. It was an 18-year-old, Mohamedou Nagida, for Rennes, who put his in off the underside of the bar. And that was the ninth penalty in that 9-8 win after um, Gigo, the Marseille captain, had seen his effort hit the post. Did you catch that one, JJ? And to see Ren, uh, you know, they're starting to find their feet again. It's been a, a, a fairly long walk through the wilderness um, the last season or this season so far for far for Ren, but Julien Stéphane is starting to weave his magic. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's been a, a massive turnaround for Ren in the last couple of weeks since he's come in. And, you know, it was a fantastic setup to the scenario, I guess, seeing that epic penalty shootout victory over Toulouse, which even the goalkeeper Agun scored in as uh, as Angus was uh, was talking about. And then, you know, to go and have sort of the added drama of that Ren-Marseille uh, clash, because you even had a fantastic penalty scenario in the game where Marseille penalty Paul Lopez yeah. saves not once but twice uh, you know, saved the rebound from the penalty as well. So, you know, it was, a, it, it was a fantastic evening. And sort of in between that, you had the draw as well. You know, some of the glamour ties, Rouen being rewarded for knocking Toulouse out with a with a money-spinning clash against Monaco. So, uh, you know, really, really brilliant couple of hours in the, the Coupe de France. And, you know, that's why we love the competition so much. Just coming back to that, um, the, uh, the victory for Rouen, that game had um, a player in it which has now become my favourite player for the entire season. Sofian Buzomusha. It's just a fantastic name. And he had the arrogance during the penalty shootout to stroll up and he literally dribbled the ball into the back of the net. That was so arrogant. It was just unbelievable. So he has the name and he has the attitude to go with it. I loved it. Well, there's another another footballer who's showing plenty of class at the moment and certainly has the skills to back up any perceived arrogance you may have. That's a certain Kylian Mbappe. Two goals and two assists for him. Gonzalo Ramos getting the third goal for PSG. And then after Warren Zaire Emery, after Eton Mbappe, the youngster, it's another 17-year-old off the rank in Seni Mayulu, who uh, I think it was his second appearance for the club. Um, and he got on the score sheet as well. And it wasn't just on the score sheet. It was a really lovely goal as well. Beautiful little chip after being put through by Mbappe. So Paris Saint-Germain are looming, obviously, as the favourites. Very quickly, the other results. So Raus um, lost out on penalties again to Sochaux. Now, this is the famous Sochaux side who produced so many fantastic players uh, in, in the French top flight who were stripped of their professional status and dropped all the way down. They're back in the third division um, so this is a great shot in the arm for them. Nice, they just edged past Bordeaux. They were twice leading by two goals, but Bordeaux made a real game of it. Strasbourg beat Clermont. Monaco, Brest, Lyon and Le Havre all beat lower league opposition as well. 
And of course, Montpellier's game was called off due to the snowfalls in the north of France. And the winner of that one will take on Nice. I haven't mentioned a certain result there, JJ, if you want to fill us in. Disappointment for you because Racing, a famous old club, are they five-time winners? Yeah, correct. I mean, it is actually, uh, you know, it had been a final a couple of times back in the 40s. Uh, obviously, a huge game for us, for, for those who sort of don't know and, you know, perhaps don't see sort of on my Twitter or X feed. Uh, sort of, I've been, you know, quite close with Racing now for the last couple of years. I am uh, a board member of the club and it's, uh, you know, it's a fantastic project trying to bring this, uh, you know, former fallen giant of French football back to life. It's, uh, you know, it's been a hugely challenging season so far in the fourth tier of French football all semi-professional but sort of with eyes on potentially returning to the professional world in the next couple of seasons and you know to draw a, a club with a, the history that Lille have was fantastic but you know not only to you know to, to come up against Liga and opposition but a club that has such a storied history in games against Racing as well it was you know a lovely touch of history a fantastic day all round you know the team really gave Lille a run for their money a fantastic goal to, to decide the encounter but uh, you know very much sort of a, a taste of what Hassing want to experience more and more in the in, in the coming years. So, uh, you know, fantastic effort from the players and from the, the coaching staff and also all of the, the voluntary staff sort of behind the scenes as well that, uh, you know, to make the Coupe de France exactly, uh, you know, what it is. They really are one of the monuments, aren't they, of, uh, of French, the French game and probably a lot, a lot of people actually know about them because they've gone down such a degree. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the big challenges sort of leading into this game as well, sort of informing people of the history of the club, sort of what uh, it has achieved on the pitch, you know, in terms of the silverware, but also some of the players that have come through the academy. I mean, if you really look into the players that have come through the ranks over the years, there's some recent ones like uh, Matsimo at Monaco, for example, Romain Febvre uh, also started his career with Racing. But if you go back, there's some real, uh, you know, well-known professionals who have come through the ranks there. Ginola, uh, Louis Saha, William Gallas, uh, you know, some of these guys have, you know, started their careers there. I mean, if we're talking specifically about Racing Lille, uh, you know, Ligue 1 fans will remember Franck Beria from his years with uh, with Losk, you know, a fantastic servant of the club, but somebody who launched his career with uh, with Racing in the, the Paris suburbs. So, you know, with the project for the Olympic Stadium renovating Yves du Manoir, which obviously would be known to the rugby fans as well from when it hosted the rugby team, uh, you know, the, the feeling is and the whole hope is that, you know, Racing, the football club, can sort of keep progressing up the, the ranks, up the, the French footballing pyramid, uh, you know, and one day hope to sort of be at a similar level to the to the rugby club and be back in the professional footballing world. And, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, it'll be sooner rather than later. But there's a big second half of the season to come regarding, a, regardless of what had been a historic run in the Coupe de France, because it's the first time in 30 years that the club had managed to get this far. He's fully Fantastic. engaged, isn't he? <laughs> well, that's brilliant. And I think and I think a lot of our listeners are now going to be keeping an eye on Racing. This is the Ligue 1 official podcast, but we do every now and again, and we'll be taking a look down at National 2 um, just to see where we're at. Oh, don't worry. Where, I'm, I'm where going to be reminding at. you when, the, when there's good results coming Excellent. in, as there are at the moment, I'll, I'll keep you updated. Next round of the Coupe de France, then, will be the eighth final, or the round of 16, as we say in English. So Montpellier versus Feigny Aulnois will take place later this week. The winner of that will take on Nice, Rouen, as we heard, entertain Monaco, Strasbourg versus Le Havre, an all-Ligue 1 clash, Lyon-Lille, an all-Ligue 1 clash, Saint-Priest versus Valenciennes, Puy versus Stade Laval, that's two lower division ties coming up, 
and then Sosha versus Wren. So one for the nostalgics to turn back the clock a little bit. Another of the headline matches is PSG versus Brest. Gentlemen, we've uh, revealed the conflict of interest. Fortunately, Russing are gone, so I can now ask JJ who his favourite is for the rest of the competition. Give me someone other than PSG, because I think PSG, we would have thought it last year as well when they lost to Nice, but certainly PSG are big favourites in this. Oh, that was going back even further. The the PSG Nice was the season before. Yeah. yeah. So, last eight, last so, year, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Oh, that's right. That week. Yeah. That week, uh, what a week it was for PSG. <laughs> All right, so no PSG, no Russing. Who's your favourite? You know what? I've spent time talking up Ren and their turnaround in form, but I have a real sneaky suspicion that Sochaux are going to enjoy a good year in the Coupe de France. I don't know if it'll take them all the way to do it, but you can never you can never rule out teams outside of the top flights in the Coupe de France. I think as long as Sochaux are playing at home, I've got a good feeling for them that they will continue to progress. I thought JJ was going for a prediction of my kind of proportions there for a second, but um, yeah, yeah, maybe not to win the title. Well, I think Leon are one to 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 maybe watch on to uh, for this remaining part of the season because I I know they lost their last league game, but they are really um, tightening up their defence a little bit like Ren actually under new management, and I think that they are going to grow as they come through this league. If they can get past Lille, which is a tough one, at least they're at home, which helps then I think that they could be a force to be reckoned with because I think their their confidence is definitely growing. And I think that they could find themselves making a rally. However, you said don't mention Paris Saint-Germain. I know they haven't won it for the last two years, but it's difficult to look past them, particularly when Kylian Mbappe insists on playing every single minute of the Coupe de France. Fantastic, gentlemen. I asked you to avoid Paris Saint-Germain. There was the second, third, fourth and fifth place Ligue 1 side still in the draw and we managed to avoid all of them in, in your tips. So Angus going for Olympic Lyonnais, JJ for Sosha. I remember Sosha's last cup final would have been, I think it was Coupe de la Ligue against Nantes. And Mikel Londreau in the penalty shootout um, tried a little panenka and Teddy Richer just stood there and <laughs> caught it in front of his face without moving and then just went into a, a long stream of abuse at his opposition, opposite goalkeeper. It was incredible. Of course, it goes the other way as well. The, uh, the goalkeeper can try and wind up the, uh, the strikers as well. We saw that with Rennes' goalkeeper. I mean, Gauthier Gallon was in the face of all of the penalty takers, and not just in the face, but talking to them, psyching them out. And I was amazed that the referee didn't say something to him. He didn't stop it at all. Yeah, and there was a fantastic moment when Jonathan Klus scored, and he just looked straight back at him. It was, it was lovely. Well... That's, I think we've just about used up the entire time limit we set for today's show, talking about the one round of the Coupe de France. Gentlemen, let's try and keep things moving. We're going to look back very quickly then at the last round of Ligue 1 football. So it was round 18. We haven't chatted too much about Paris Saint-Germain in the Cup, apart from the fact that they are, they are heading forward. So let's start there. They roll on. It was a dominant display over Lance Kylian Mbappe, has now got 19 goals in 17 league appearances. Gigio Donnarumma is back in good form as well. He saved a penalty to deny Frankowski early on. It was a it was a solid performance, wasn't it, JJ, from Paris Saint-Germain's side to get that win. And that was one of the key moments last year as well, wasn't it, when Lance beat them at the Bollard to see Paris Saint-Germain come back like this. It was a, it was a show of strength. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, there were moments as well within that game where it could have changed, you know, not only the the penalty saved by Donnarumma, uh, you know, quite tamed by sort of Frankowski's usual standards, but the the red card, the upgraded red card of uh, Kradzi as well uh, towards the end of the first half. Uh, fantastic finish from from Barkala. You know, we don't see him sort of being that clinical in front of goal usually, so that will have been a massive boost for him. Uh, you know, and then that clinical finishing that we expect from Mbappe was present towards the end of the game. And I'll be honest, PSG really do look more focused since the beginning of the year we saw it in the Trophée de Champion against Toulouse as well uh, you know obviously uh, you know Revel were enjoying their their big day out in the Coupe de France but you know some of the goals that PSG put together in that game as well they look like they're ready for this second half of the season they look like they're primed and I think that we're going to see a meaner PSG overall uh, you know and this is just sort of a, a taste of things to come you know they've opened up the gap at the top of Ligue 1 thanks to that result and I'm looking forward, actually, to, the, to going back to Parc des Princes uh, this coming weekend for the Brest match. Well, Bradley Barcola, Angus, he plays on the left wing. He's got an eye for goal, which is developing, perhaps. We still don't know the future of Kylian Mbappe. I'm not saying Bradley Barcola is a, is a goal-scoring machine that Kylian Mbappe was. But, you know, we know that Kylian doesn't like so much playing in that central striking role. When he goes, Paris Saint-Germain can bring in another striker. Is, is Bradley Barcola... Part of the fix should Mbappe leave? Well, it's ironic, first of all, that Kylian Mbappe finds himself back in the centre of the attack, having been such a polemic argument last season when he was forced to play there rather than on his favoured left-hand side. But he does tend to play all over the place, though. He, he isn't just anchored in that centre part. Bradley Barkler, it took him a long time to, uh, to get his first goal and it almost became sort of like a bone of contention for him. I mean, there was lots of players when he was missing chances early on, consoling him on the pitch, you know, and you could see it was like, it will come. And I think that now that it has, I think that will probably release him now into the uh, the next part of the season. He's a fabulous player. I mean, he's a, he's a massive loss to um, Leon. You saw the, the partnership he had with Lacazette last season showed you just how quickly he can latch on to an attacking partner, which he's again done, except this time with Paris Saint-Germain's emblematic striker Mbappe. But I, I think as well, it's it's not just what's going on in attack that's uh, good at the moment. I think what happened, and JJ alluded to it, I don't know whether I see them as more focused, but I see them as now understanding what um, Luis Enrique wants from them more. They've they've tightened up considerably. Their away form is astonishing. I mean, they, they're on the sort of away run now they haven't seen since 2019. They are in fabulous defensive form. And of course, I think the most important player, if Mbappe, as we say, will leave. I mean, even he says, you know, I will do what I'm ready for with my career uh, in the media. I think the next most important player for Paris Saint-Germain will be um, the midfielder, Warren Zaya Emery. I think he's going to be the next big superstar and it will change the way perhaps they actually play because I think there is scope for Warren Zaya Emery to play slightly further forward. He can do everything an attacking midfielder does. He's a complete package. And I think that he will start to score a lot more goals as they move forward. And maybe without Mbappe there, we'll release him slightly further forward. I agree. I think watching Warren Zaya Emery at the moment is, a, is, is amazing. Watching a kid of that age play with the power, the maturity. It really is astonishing. It's not too much to say that. It's, he seems to be a, an a generational talent that is that is doing remarkable things on the football pitch. From the top of the table to the bottom, Clermont have got a third win of the season. They've been following their knee neighbours, Olympic Lyonnais, into how to do things. They got up 2-1 over Nantes. 
and they are off the bottom of the table. It's Lorient who suffered a 10th defeat of the season, who are now rock bottom, heading back further towards the top again. Reims defeated Monaco and Rennes beat Nice as well. So everything is falling into uh, favour for Paris Saint-Germain at the moment and falling into favour for another side as well because Brest have made it four wins in a row. It's their sixth in an unbeaten run of seven matches. They are, without any doubt, the surprise packet of the season. And if everything, and I mean everything, goes their way in the next two rounds of Ligue 1 football when they take on Nice and Paris Saint-Germain, they could find themselves in second place and fighting for the title. Um, it's an incredible scenario that no one saw coming. The very fact that it lies within the realm of possibility is a testament to the work done by Eric Waugh. His band of pirates are exceptional at the moment. How have they done it? How have they gone from escaping relegation two seasons ago, 14th last year, to what they're achieving now? Well, Le Bourgeois' intrepid man about town, Jonathan Johnson, decided to investigate. Eyebrows were raised when Eric Boire was appointed as Brest's head coach just over 12 months ago. And those eyebrows are being raised further now. Just over one year later, the Brittany-based club are sitting all the way up in third. Only Ligue 1 leaders Paddy Saint-Germain and second place Nice are faring better than Roi's men at present. A look at his record exactly one year since arriving on the west coast of France reads 18 wins and an average of 1.63 points per game. Specific to the current season, 10 of those victories have helped to propel Brest into European qualification contention. Their mean defence has conceded only 15 goals so far, which is only bettered by PSG Nice and Lille, with a superior goal score tally to the Southerners and the Northerners. So how has all of this come about? Hugo Magnetti revealed some of the changes made by Roy since his arrival. He tells us often that he wants us to be a difficult team to play, tough to beat. For that, we must have great intensity. It also gives us a form of identity, values by which to play, and that for us means never giving up. We feel like we're part of a family here, and we all want to fight for each other. The coach has been in several different roles with his previous clubs, notably the sporting management side, so this has given him a different perspective to other coaches that we've had. As a player, Roy represented formative club Nice across multiple spells, as well as French giants Lyon and Marseille, and even a stint in England with Sunderland. The Nice-born midfielder moved into management with his hometown club before sampling the sporting director role with both Lens and then Watford in England. Before returning to management with Brest, Roy was known as much for his punditry as he was for his dalliance with the tactical side of things. So his surprise appointment 12 years after his last major head coaching role caught everyone off guard, including Magnetti. I immediately saw that he's a coach who's very close with his players. Felt that he was someone who listens and had not come with a fixed idea of how he wanted us to play. That made the difference in my opinion. Even if he had been out of the game for quite some time, we knew his past as a player, but also as a director and pundit. We didn't have time to doubt him because he immediately brought us some new momentum. The arrival of Roy has certainly brought Brest to life in a manner similar to Lens' revival under Franquez, yet the two clubs are of vastly different statures given Lens' cult status. Brest keeping its main core of players together such as Pierre Les Melu and Romain Del Castillo also plays its part in their current success, according to midfielder Madi Camera. 
The squad has changed little, and we all know each other very well. We've looked every team that we've come up against in the eye. Even when we've lost, as was the case against Marseille and PSG, we managed to play the way that we want to play, in our own style. We must stay positive and regardless of our opponents, the coach wants us to play a major part in each game. It's important to play with our values instead of suffering for them. An unsung cast of players then which is collectively punching above its weight and Magnetti explained the methods used by Wa to obtain these results and keep his tight-knit group of players motivated. Last season we simply wanted to save ourselves. However, this season we've set ourselves objectives over four to five game periods For example, we set ourselves an aim to pick up six or seven points over a run of matches. Once we achieve that, the coach takes us out to a restaurant and we get a few extra days off, which is pretty cool. And this has helped to establish that family spirit. Right now, we're doing pretty well. And from our four objectives set so far this season, we've actually achieved three of them. Ahead of the winter break, we were targeting 25 or 27 points. Yet we actually picked up 31 in the end. Let's go to PSG later this month in what's shaping up to be a top-of-the-table clash and one that could have an impact on the title race if Poir's men can pull off a shock result at Parc des Princes as Nice did earlier in the season then it could enable the chasing pack to reel PSG back in. Well, thank you for that, JJ. Very interesting to hear just how King Eric, the new King Eric II, is uh, working his magic with the Pirates in Brest. Angus, it's not all just down to the coach, though. We heard the players as well in, in JJ's piece there talking about it and some of the stars. Who's caught your eye in this side? Well, you say stars. I mean, when you're talking about Brest, that is a relative term, really, isn't it? I mean, they are very much a small club. It's a, a very family-orientated club, if you like. That feeling of players coming together for the good of the club and the, the region as a whole. And I think you, you start with uh, Brandon Chardonnay. I mean, the captain, been there a long time, understands the club. He's perfect for when other players come in to be able to explain to them what's going on. He's just signed an extension along with Lillian Brassier, his uh, centre-back partner. And I don't think you can overestimate just how good those two have been as they develop their partnership together in front of Marco Pizzo, who's been absolutely sensational as well. He's got already as many clean sheets this season in half a season as he had in the whole of the last campaign. And they are just tight. Their defence is just rock solid. And also they have Bradley Loco, Kenny Lala, and they also fit in very nicely to that. Uh, Kenny Lala is going to be interesting to look at with Chardonnay and Brassier when Paris Saint-Germain's Kylian Mbappe comes to call because they will be the ones who will probably take the brunt of his runs forward. But another one who is fantastic as well, Pierre-Lise Melou, who has uh, come in in the last couple of seasons and has just calmed the midfield down Everything that they start when they play goes through him. Influential signing from England, um, from Norwich City. And of course, it's allowed those further forward to be released further, like Jeremy Le Durand, who has had a remarkable rise since he arrived in 2020 from Stade Brieschin. I had to look that club up, to be quite honest with you, to, uh, to find out who they were. And of course, Roman Del Castillo has been fantastic. Five goals, five assists. He only got six of each in the entirety of last season. You can see... All of these players have generally developed since last season. I think the surprise is, is just how much. I mean, like you say, nobody expected Brest to be fighting for a Champions League place. I mean, that to me is even more weird than Lance when they came back up and immediately started contending for Europe. So it just shows you how wonderful French football can be sometimes. It's not just the Coupe de France sometimes that has magic. 
Liga can also produce it. What Brest are achieving is beyond what Leicester achieved in the Champions League. I mean, if you compare budgets and percentages and where they're operating, it's obscene what Brest are achieving at the moment. I'm not saying they're going to knock off Paris Saint-Germain either, but um, already this has been a historic season for that club. You're listening to Angus Turoad, Ligue 1 commentator, and Jonathan Johnson, Racing Club board member, and of course, French football expert, journalist extraordinaire. Don't forget to follow all the action on X at League One underscore ENG. You can catch the podcast on all your podcast platforms. So like, subscribe, follow and recommend. Well, French football has very strong links to African football and the tournament has top billing on French TV like every time, every two years. And Le Bourgeois has our very own man on the ground in Abidjan, Andy Scott is on the line. Andy, thank you for finding your time and your busy schedule to join us during during the AFCON. Um, anything can and usually does happen in, in the Africa Cup of Nations. This edition is no exception. There have already been some big surprises and upsets. Yeah, yeah, there have um, there have been some upsets and, and um, it's been a really interesting competition so far. We're sitting here um, this Monday morning in Abidjan, in, in hot and humid Abidjan, and we're coming towards the end of the group stage. There has not been a single goalless draw, and there have been plenty of games where the so-called big boys have uh, struggled. You might say the big story really has been, in the last couple of days, has been Egypt and Mohamed Salah, their star player, um, getting injured and now heading back to England, apparently, to get treatment. So we don't know if he's going to be back here at all. But um, yeah, there have been there have been some interesting results and, and teams who you might have expected to wrap up a place in the last 16 very early on have not managed to do that. The likes of Morocco, uh, Algeria, also the host nation, Ivory Coast, managed by Jean-Louis Gasset, Laurent Blanc's old right-hand man. Um, they had a defeat against Nigeria, which in itself is not a disgrace, but they didn't play particularly well. And they're sitting here going into their game, as I'm speaking now, going into their game later on today. Uh, in danger of going out of the tournament, which would be a huge blow. And, of course, they're, they're a major nation in the African footballing scene, so it would be a, a, a real scandal for them to be eliminated at this stage. Of the individual performances from league and players, who, who's caught your eye so far? Oh, well, I mean, I think the thing is that, obviously, we said this, we talked about it before before the tournament, we, we did a thing on it, and we, we talked about the number of, uh, of league and players who are here, a number of former league and players who are here as well. Um, in terms of guys who stood out, uh, probably Lamine Kamara, actually, the, the Senegal midfielder who, who was named the African Young Player of the Year for last year. Um, young player coming through at Mess, a club who've, who've, of course, got a great history with Senegalese players. And he was in the Senegal team. Senegal, of course, the holders in their first match. They played, um, they played the Gambia, not one of the bigger nations, but they beat them 3-0 and he scored two goals, one of them absolutely tremendous. Um, so there's a real sense that he is coming on and, and is going to become a, a really big player for Senegal in the years to come and probably might be the next um, young talent from Africa that Mess sell on for, for big money. Of course, they've had so many in the past. I think it's also worth mentioning Ashraf Hakimi because he scored yesterday for Morocco against the Democratic Republic of Congo, a game that they drew 1-1, but clearly a very important player for them. We expect them to go through to the last 16 without too many problems. And um, he, of course, is such an important player for them on that right-hand side, just as he is for Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, and I think PSG fans will have to wait a little bit longer before he heads back to, to the French capital. 
Well, what do you think we're going to see over the next couple of weeks then heading into sort of, you know, the, the last 16 quarters, semis? Do you think the big teams are going to bounce back or the surprises continue? Who's who's the real favourite at the moment if, if the host nation and Egypt and the, some of the big teams aren't performing? Well, again, obviously, with the caveat is that we've had two rounds of group games. So, you know, it's often too early to say. And there's usually a surprise package somewhere that tends to do well. And the, the Morocco, who were so strongly fancied before the tournament, for them, coming to sub-Saharan Africa to play in the Cup of Nations has traditionally been very difficult, and they've only won it once. That was nearly 50 years ago now. So in, in a sense, I'm expecting there to be plenty more surprises along the way, and, I, and I'm kind of not too keen to kind of give a prediction because it might look pretty stupid in a couple of weeks' time. But I think that Nigeria have impressed. They have got a lot of good players, of course. And I'll tell you one anecdote quickly about the Nigerians, actually. They've given us very good media access, which may come as a surprise to, to some. Um, I was expecting them to be very closed off, not allow anybody to talk to any of their players. But we've had the chance to speak to Terry Moffey, for example, who hasn't actually um, really been able to get on the field. He, of course, is a late call-up in place of the injured Victor Boniface. So he wasn't initially in the squad. But also Victor Ozimen, who is the big star of African football, the reigning African footballer of the year. We went to see him the other day. And funnily enough, he, he was actually given a prize. Now, this is a prize awarded by RFI radio station, Radio France International. It's called the Mark Vivian Foe Award. It's given for the best African player in Lee Young. But he was given this, of course, for the 2019-20 season when he was at Lille, after which he went to, to Napoli because, for whatever reason, he hadn't had the chance to give him the award. So he was given the prize, and then afterwards he was asked about it in a separate interview with somebody else, and he was talking about how really individual prizes he just doesn't care about. So that that was quite funny. But, uh, but the Nigerians obviously have got all these great attacking players, uh, among them Moses Simon, of course, of, of, of Nantes, who has been involved in the team. Not necessarily a first pick because they have so many options up front, even with the injuries they've had. But I would say that the Nigerians uh, look good, but I'm conscious that it's early doors and things can change very quickly. But yeah, as a general rule, I think, I think a lot of the bigger countries... I've struggled so far. I would expect the Nigerians to, to go far. I would expect Morocco to go far. And I expect the Ivory Coast with Sikko Fofana, who scored that brilliant goal in, in the first game of the tournament for them, the former Lons midfield, I would expect them to go through. I don't expect them to win the competition. That's about as far as my predictions will go at this stage. We'll see in a couple of weeks' time. The AFCON, there are always surprises in store. So I don't want to, I don't want to make too many predictions just yet. Fantastic, Andy. We thank you always for your time. One quick one before you go then. What is the best team's nickname that you've come across at, at this tournament? Because there are always some fantastic ones. Which is it? There are, yeah. I mean, I, I, well, only because I've got a soft spot for them. The Blue Sharks of Cape Verde have um, have been fantastic in this tournament. And they've, they've again, they've been very friendly and very good to deal with. So I'll say the Blue Sharks. But yeah, there's so many. The, the, obviously, the Elephants of the Ivory Coast uh, is a great nickname as well. And they're also evocative. And yeah, I would say this to anybody who's not been watching the AFCON yet. Tune in. They're always great stories, great nicknames. It's so colourful um, and it's, it's just great to watch. So, yeah, tune in. Fantastic. Good stuff, Andy. We'll speak to you again soon. Cheers. Well, it's not only the Africa Cup of Nations where Ligue 1 football players are starring at the moment. The Asian Cup is also on in Qatar at the moment and the Ligue 1 players are impressing there. So, very quickly, just a little update. The Lons central defender, Husanov from Uzbekistan, they just need a point against Australia in their last game to be sure of qualifying. They drew with Syria and defeated India. 
Um, Australia are already qualified, so let's give a, a little hand up to our Uzbeki friends and, and Abdul Qadir Husanov as well. So we're happy to see them go through with a share of the spoils. Otherwise, Jordan's Musa Altamari of Montpellier, he got two goals against Malaysia and then a 2-2 draw against the Taeguk Warriors, Korea Republic. So they need a point against Bahrain to be sure of qualifying for the next round. Lee Kang-in of Paris Saint-Germain, he was player of the match with two goals in a stunning 3-1 win over Bahrain. But then they were held, as we just heard, by Musa Altamari's Jordan 2-2. They need a point against Malaysia to be sure of going through. And then we have three Japanese players, Monaco's Takumi Minamino and the Rance duo Keito Nakamura and Junya Ito. Minamino and Nakamura were amongst the goals against Vietnam. Junya Ito hasn't featured so much, but Japan was stunned 2-1 by Iraq two nights ago. Massive upset. They need a point against Indonesia to go through to the next round. So still... Plenty of football to come for the Asian Cup representatives of Ligue 1. I'm sorry for Lens, Montpellier, Paris Saint-Germain, Monaco and Reims. They may not be coming home just yet. Okay, now it's time for the prolonged scratching of heads and lengthy scouring of synapses familiar to our long-time listeners. That's right, it's the world's premier English-language-French football quiz, Deja Who. All you have to do is piece together the clues to figure out who I'm talking about. Very easy, isn't it? Well, we'll see. So if you do think you have the correct answer, you could go into the running to win a Ludovic Blas Wren jersey, the winner to be announced in our next episode. If you think you've got it right, get your beret de réflexion on, or thinking cap in English, as the case may be, and uh, answer this. If you think you've got it, send your answer to by email, league1podcast at gmail.com. So here we go. We're ready. Who am I? I made my full senior first team debut as a 17-year-old, and after a brief loan spell, I went on to win the championship several times, as well as the cup and the Champions League. I went on to play in three other countries, winning silverware in two of them, before finally arriving in Ligue 1, where I lifted the Hexagold trophy in my first and last season there. That's only one season, just so to avoid any confusion. My long international career failed to bring me any trophies and the joy of scoring my first ever international goal in France was largely overshadowed by other more negative events during that same period. Who am I and who did I play for in Ligue 1? So there you go. Have a listen to it back. Set up your Excel sheets and try and work out who was where at what time and, and what they won and see if uh, it all comes out in the wash. Angus, any clues off the bat like that? Well, actually, the thing I loved there was it looked like that JJ was making notes as you were reading that out, like he was setting up his <laughs> Excel spreadsheet right now to try and get there. <laughs> Always very impressive. You get it first off the bat, but no, not the maybe. Moment. Maybe he had an idea. JJ, any idea? I do have a couple of ideas, mainly based on the age, but actually what I was looking up is something that we're going to be getting into in a little bit more detail in a minute. I just wanted to <laughs> remind myself of a moment of sheer league unbrilliance. So yeah, I'll just leave that teaser out there. But no, in terms of the potential candidates, I have a couple in mind, but uh, I don't want to throw them out there just in case any of them are the uh, the correct answer. Fantastic. I will add that um, Baptiste last week in the, in the uh, podcast chat, 
got it within 30 seconds. And that's about the first time that one of our, one of our uh, heralded guests has uh, managed to get it so quickly. So it was quite impressive. If you have your answer, send an email to league1podcast at gmail.com. You could go into the running for that Wren jersey of Ludovic Blas. Perhaps it will be a Coupe de France winning jersey or under Julien Stéphane, maybe they'll go all the way in Europe um, this season. They're starting to find their form. So make sure you get into your answers and go into the running for that jersey. Okay, well, now it's time for the return of our Ligue 1 Legends series. And after going behind the scenes of the 20th century seminal Ligue 1 Uber Eats title wins, we now turn our attentions to something that France's top flight has managed to produce many of over the years, cult players. And with the second Olympico of the season set to be played in week 20, let's hope it actually does go ahead this time, we take a look at one player who won't be forgotten at Lyon or Marseille or indeed at any of the other five Ligue 1 clubs he played for anytime soon. We are, of course, talking about none other than Hatem Ben Arfa. Andreas Evagora looks back on a gifted but always controversial Ligue 1 legend. No fewer than seven French clubs tried and ultimately failed to harness the supreme footballing gifts of Hatem Ben Arfa. But time and again, the wrong kind of headlines overshadowed the career of the man known as HBA, a player who possessed outstanding passing, shooting and dribbling. Five Ligue 1 titles, two French Cups, two League Cups is somehow deemed an unfulfilled career, a measure of the player's potential. The son of a Tunisia international, Ben Arfa was the classic football prodigy, hailing from Clamart just outside Paris. The 12-year-old Hatem was such a phenomenon that he joined the prestigious Clairefontaine Academy a year younger than any of his peers. There he came to national attention in a fly-on-the-wall documentary on future French stars. After winning the under-17 Euros in 2004, PSG were among a host of clubs who swooped. HBA had his first of many public spats, his family angrily rejecting the club's financial offer. Lyon president Jean-Michel Aulas got wind of the situation and orders his chauffeur to drive him to the Ben Arfa family house. A six-figure signing on fee was agreed on the spot and Ben Arfa was heading to the Ligue 1 champions. That was the start of a career that hit some glorious highs. Bursting onto the scene with Karim Benzema, some Lyon journalists were convinced OL had a future Ballon d'Or on their hands, but they weren't talking about Benzema. Alain Perrin brought out the best in the young Ben Arfa as he won his fourth Ligue 1 crown just weeks after turning 21. At Marseille, fans still remember six magnificent months in 2010, OM winning their first league title in 19 years. After a spell in England, Ben Arfa thrived under coach Lucien Favre at Nice. Everything clicked, 18 goals putting Ben Arfa back in demand among Europe's elite. Another turning point for HBA, who had unfinished business in the capital. Again, there were initial signs of brilliance. Ben Arfa struggled with Unai Emery's high-intensity style and fell out with the coach, club president Nasser El Halafi and sporting director Patrick Clivert. Ben Arfa's career hit another roadblock. A boyhood PSG fan, this was perhaps the most hurtful of all his public battles. Tensions with Al Halafi surfaced as HBA's Rennes beat Paris in the 2019 French Cup final. Later, the player brought and won a court case against the club for moral harassment. Ben Arfa has opened up about his struggles to adapt to top-level football. I'm too impatient, too proud, he once told newspaper Le Keep. 
Ever since school, I've been uncomfortable with authority. More than one coach called Ben Arthur unmanageable. Some arguments were petulant. Ben Arthur once refused to come on as a sub for OM in a heavy defeat against PSG. Others were more hurtful. In the early days at Lyon, Olas and HBA talked of a father and son relationship. By the end, ties couldn't have been worse. It's a good job we're not animals, Ben Arthur later said of his relationship with Olas. Otherwise, I would have killed him. Marseille's Jean-Claude Dacier, another president on the receiving end of HBA's anger. Dacier claimed the player vandalised his office to get a transfer. Then there were the notorious clashes with teammates. At Lyon, there was a punch-up with Sebastian Squalacci after nutmegging the experienced defender in training. Soon after joining Marseille, he fought with Gibral Sissé in front of bewildered players. A familiar pattern followed at Bordeaux. Promising start interrupted by a dressing room bust-up with respected captain Laurent Kozielny. It was perhaps this reputation that stunted any real international career. Ben Arthur started only four matches for France. Didier Deschamps, not the kind of coach to overlook disciplinary indiscretions. Ironically, many teammates describe Ben Arthur as a likeable, friendly character. Few have a good word for his long-serving entourage and management. One critic was PSG coach Unai Emery, who once said Ben Arthur should stop trying to play like Lionel Messi. Some might differ. In a 2017 TV interview, Benzema was asked about the stalled career of HBA. The Real Madrid Ballon d'Or winner hesitated and seemed genuinely saddened at the plight of his old friend. His talent is at the level of Messi, no exaggeration. When I see him like this, I feel really bad for him. Now 36, Ben Arthur last made news in France when he revealed his love for the sport of paddle. As it turned out, Ben Arthur has a national ranking of 1,432. That would be a sad way for such a gifted player to leave the public arena. Ben Arthur has not officially retired, so with the transfer window open, maybe this is the time for Le Beaujeu to challenge another club to take a chance on the dazzling mercurial talent that is Hatton Ben Arthur. Well, thank you for that, Andreas. He may not have played a whole lot of football recently and is uh, trying his hand at another sport. But listen, Hatem, we'd love to have you down under in the A-League as well. We could do it with a bit of that controversial star-pulling power. Angus, what about you? Is there is there a team that needs Hatem Ben Arfa back? Well, yes. I mean, maybe. Uh, I mean, when we're talking about cult players, we always have to make sure that we are spelling that with an L. Uh, particularly when it comes to Hatton Ben Arthur. So uh, I suppose you could, there are a, a few candidates maybe who have missed um, attacking players since the summer. Leon, they lost Bradley Barkler to Paris Saint-Germain, but they have brought in Malik Fofana, who's just scored in the Coupe de France, actually. Um, so maybe he's the natural substitute there. Not sure that he would go back to Leon, even though um, Jean-Michel Olas has now left. Nantes are in awful trouble, particularly going forward. They lost Ludovic Blas to Rennes. So maybe they need a little bit of inspiration. And Montpellier, of course, have lost Steffi Mafadidi, uh, who's gone back to England after his loan. So maybe Montpellier as well, because they can't buy a goal really at the moment, or not enough of them. They're all in the uh, the bottom third of uh, Liga. But I think there's so much history with Hatton Benar for now, and bearing in mind his age, that I'm not sure that clubs would want to take the risk anymore, bearing in mind what he brings off the pitch. He was so electric when he when he showed up back at Nice. It was the most unexpected marriage that was was so perfect. And you got me thinking about that when he said Montpellier. I can see that happening alongside Teji Savigny. Those two just just lighting it up. It would be spectacular. JJ, 
What's your favourite Hatton memory? The one memory that really stands out for me above all of them, and you know, Ben Arthur is somebody who has a catalogue of brilliant goals over the course of his career. You know, that fantastic solo effort for Newcastle, for example. But there's one other solo effort that I think, if not trumps it, then is at least equal and happened in Ligue 1, and that's the brilliant Ben Arthur solo effort against Saint-Etienne, where he dribbles around about seven defenders. That was... Peak Ben Arthur brilliance, you know, during that time with Nice, that rebirth. And and for me, I think, you know, when I think back to him and, you know, probably am now reflecting upon his footballing career as a whole, you know, I think that goal really stands out to me. And if he was to come back, uh, you know, just to sort of jump in on, on sort of the, the topic that Angus was discussing a moment ago. I'd love to see if he really had it in him to perhaps lead one of the big names back from Ligue 2 to Ligue 1, a Bordeaux or a Saint-Étienne. Saint-Étienne, crossing that Lyon-Saint-Étienne divide, I don't think would be beyond Ben Arthur if the offer was put to him. But, you know, I think that's maybe the kind of challenge that he might need to, to sort of boot up again. Watch this space. I get the feeling. I thought you were going to say Sosho for a moment there, but now <laughs> I've realised that you're going to be sending an email on behalf of Rassing. <laughs> to uh to, to Hatton's agent. Uh, he's, well, he's welcome. He's welcome. <laughs> that would be that would be spectacular. Um well I'll tell you very quickly, Andreas brought it up in the in in his piece about Hatton that people generally say he's a really nice guy, a lovely guy. And he really is. I mean when I was at Paris Saint-Germain when he was there, and he is genuinely a, just a lovely, simple guy, not a troublemaker in the dressing room. Every single Paris Saint-Germain player got along with him so well. I know there are stories of the, the fisticuffs and the carry-on. He can be mischievous, but in a, it's in a really, you know, innocent school kid kind of way I, I found with him always. And I'll tell you one funny story. We were travelling in the Champions League to London to take on Arsenal and we needed a result, at least a draw to go through to the last 16. There was a little bit of pressure on the side and I think it was under Unai Emery, if memory serves me. It's the famous trip where Serge Aurier left with the team, but then wasn't able to travel. Exactly. So we were there. We arrived at the airport in, um, in London. We all have to get our passports out. And I got out my Australian passport and someone said, what's that? And Hatem was, he couldn't, be- he thought, my God, what's that passport? What's that passport? He just wanted to look and he was asking all about the kangaroos and the emus. Again, with this genuine gentle curiosity like he's a really interesting guy and he was asking all about it and then someone said well Serge doesn't have a passport which was the problem and then he goes oh where's Serge where's Serge he hadn't even realized that Serge Aurier wasn't there so he's looking around and right behind him was Tom Meunier and so he's going and people are going no Serge couldn't and so Serge couldn't travel to the game because he was going through a court case at the moment because They'd found out that he had two birth certificates with different dates on them from from Côte d'Ivoire for Serge Aurier. So he couldn't get a passport, couldn't travel. And this um, had gotten through to the opposition hierarchy that we were playing, who had certain links to France. I don't want to name anyone in case this story hasn't come out, but you can probably work it out. (laughs) The boss of the club we were playing knew all about what was happening in France in this debate, so made sure that Serge wasn't this was the rumor we heard made sure with english authorities that serge wouldn't be allowed to travel into england so paris saint-germain had to travel without serge and hatem turned around and saw tom and mernier and looked up at him and said so serge isn't here but that's good for you <laughs> and it was to tom and mernier because of course tom and mernier was going to start it right back so 
I think reading between <laughs> the lines, it, it wasn't generally teammates he had a problem with. It was people telling him what to do. Even he admitted that he has a problem with authority. And he was such a, a prodigious talent that I guess anybody that tried to rein him in a little bit didn't get a good reaction. I think as well, if we're talking purely in terms of ability, there's a quote that I can remember from a few years ago with Danny Alves from the time that he spent alongside Hatem Benafra. And obviously Alves is somebody who, uh, you know, despite the way that his career has ended, he played alongside some phenomenal players in his time, notably, you know, that great Barcelona team. But he said, uh, and I can't remember where he said it, that, uh, that Hatem Benafra in training was literally the most gifted player that he had ever seen kicker football and obviously you know Alves is somebody who spent a large portion of his career playing alongside Messi and you know I think that sums Ben Arthur up brilliantly you know in terms of you know gifted ability pure natural talent to play football there there are few better if any than uh, Ben Arthur back in his prime you're probably spot on that was the cult figure that is Hatem Ben Arthur listening to Le Beaujeu the Ligue 1 official Ligue 1 podcast in English Okay, gentlemen, we are almost there. It's time to look ahead to the next two rounds of Ligue 1 football. A little bit of preview time. There's the Olympico in round 20, but both Lyon and Marseille have stiff tests against Rennes and Monaco, respectively, in round 19. There's the clash of the form teams as Brest travel to the Parc des Princes looking to assert their European credentials and perhaps rattle PSG's cage a little before they take on Nice in round 20. Round 19 also sees the Mediterranean derby, as Monaco will be looking to bounce back from defeat. They travel to Olympique de Marseille and Montpellier with just one win in five. They're preparing to host an on-fire Lille side. Defeat could see them dip right down into the relegation zone. So, Angus, you first in round 19. What takes your fancy there? There are some big matches between some... uh, Pretty impressive teams there. Obviously, Paris Saint-Germain-Brest is an intriguing one and will be the real test of Brest's mettle. I don't think that Paris Saint-Germain against Brest has ever been as intriguing, has it? I mean, uh, (laughs) usually, I mean, Paris Saint-Germain are the team that Brest have lost against most, which I suppose is not so surprising, in the top flight. But this one, if it was away, I would have said that it really would have been an interesting one to behold. At the Parc des Princes? I think that there'll be too much for them. I, as, as much as we are romanticising this rise for Brest, if they were to do what Lons did last year, even though this is a, the other ground, it would be nothing short of one of the greatest results, I think, that Liga has ever had in a single Liga game. Uh, I can't see it happening, to be honest with you, but I would love to be in the, in the Parc des Princes to see it. <laughs> It can happen. It's football, Angus, and you're right. It will be be an astonishing (laughs) result if Brest could do it. Can they do it, JJ? I'm very much looking to find out. And of course, this is one that we get, uh, you know, two doses of as well now with the Coupe de France draw. But I'm actually going to take you on a little culinary twist because I'm glad we're talking about Paris-Brest and not Brest-Paris because, of course, Paris-Brest is a famous dessert here in France. And uh, I should add as well, uh, having spent a bit of my childhood in Maison Lafitte, that there is a claim to fame for Maison Lafitte in the Parisian suburbs that it is the birthplace of the Paris-Brest, the praline flour. flavoured dessert, which is kind of like choux pastry with, uh, you know, some very light cream and then a, a drizzling of a generous drizzling of almonds on uh, on top. So, yeah, I will be 
chomping down on some parry breast i hope while watching the game unfold on the pitch twice in uh, a number of weeks or even days but uh, no very much looking forward to it on the pitch as well in terms of the, the the spectacle that i hope it will produce and um you know it would be nice to see psg given a real tight uh you know run for their money by by this plucky breast side and in case you're wondering why a dessert is called paris and breast it was a cycling race um, and they were looking for some way to advertise the cycling race. And already back in the old days in France, they were looking ways for cross-promotion. And the only way, of course, to generate interest in anything is France is via people's stomachs because the food is, is so good. And so Paris-Brest was uh, this dessert that uh, is probably more famous than the cycling race now because I don't think the cycling race exists anymore. But the Paris-Brest dessert certainly does. Round 20, Angus. We've got another full round of matches coming up. Some intriguing ones there as well. PSG are on the road to Strasbourg. Monaco against Le Havre. Le Havre, well, Monaco in free fall at the moment. And Le Havre uh, have, have surprised on their return to the top flight. Brest-Nice, that is a huge clash as well. It's so important for Brest these next couple of weeks. And the Olympico, perhaps, this time. Well, I'm not going to see Brest twice. I mean, as, as nice as it would be to go, go down there to the Atlantic coastline, perhaps not at this time of year. So I think I'll go slightly further south and see uh, one of the most ferocious, it's not a derby as such, but it's one of the most ferocious rivalries in French football, Lyon against Marseille, which does have a link actually to Brest because uh, Eric Roy actually went directly from Lyon to Marseille. And in a very unlike Hatton Ben Arfa, he's much more of a diplomat and I'm sure he made that work a lot better than Hatton Ben Arfa could do. Um, so I think Leon against Marseille will be fabulous. I think Leon, it's a good test to see whether or not they really are on the way up. And for Marseille, they need a, a good result as well in Liga as well. So I think that could be fascinating down there at the Group Armour Stadium. AJ, match day 20. It, uh, what takes your fancy? Yeah, I'm also going to sort of pass on Brest, although I will add on Brest-Nice. Obviously, it's the derby of Eric Roy as well, where he spent a lot of his career and also started his managerial career as well. So him coming back against his formative club and, and hometown club as well, as you will have heard earlier in the profile of him. But for me, I'm actually really tempted by that Monaco-Lavre game. Uh, you know, I do think that, uh, you know, Monaco need to get their act together if they're going to, uh, you know, maintain that push and that those chances of, of getting themselves back in to the Champions League but this love side I feel really uh, you know pull out some really interesting results at uh, in key moments they're a very difficult team to beat you know have got a, n- a number of underrated players and they're you know one of the teams that I really sort of enjoy tuning in and watching as a, a neutral so I think I would be checking that one out given the choice all right, well, you're listening to Jonathan Johnson, Angus Tarot, and myself, Robbie Thompson. Follow us on Twitter, or X as it is these days, at League One underscore ENG. Catch the podcast on all your favourite platforms. Like, subscribe, follow, recommend, and of course, drop in on LeagueOne.com. Le Bourgeois will be back in two weeks' time to take a look at rounds 19 and 20, and then ahead to rounds 21 and 22. We'll also be turning our attentions to European matters, looking ahead to the Champions League round of 16, the Europa League knockout rounds as well, and the Conference League. And of course, Paris Saint-Germain will be taking on Real Sociedad. Rennes battling the mighty Milan as Lens, Marseille, Toulouse and Lille are also looking to keep their continental hopes alive. We'll have another chat to our man in Abidjan, Andy Scott, to see how the Ligue 1 Uber Eats stars are doing at the Africa Cup of Nations. And, of course, we'll be announcing the winner of that Ludovic Blas Wren jersey. So make sure to send in your Deja Who answers as soon as you've cracked the code. 
All that and, of course, a whole lot more our customary comprehensive decortication of all the talking points from the world of French football. Until then, on behalf of the entire Le Bourgeois team, we wish you all bon match and au revoir. I feel like having some prawns now. Never too early in the day for prawns.